0: And so we're, we're in our series now, this series called Anxious for Nothing. We're talking about anxiety. And we're looking in Philippians chapter 4, if you have your Bible, your Bible app. If you have one of the Bibles that you picked up in the lobby that looks like this, we will be, will be on page seven hundred and 736 in Philippians chapter 4. This is week three in our series. We hope this series has been an encouragement to you so far, that it's given you some hope in your life um, so far as we're talking about anxiety and what is God's prescription for anxiety. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get anxious about something, I so to worry about something, you know, some, my mind, it just won't shut off. Right, sometimes your, your mind gets in that spiral where all you can think about is that issue and you just you, you know, it's hard to think about anything else, even the things you need to deal with and take care of in the moment that day. You, you're always replaying those anxious thoughts in the background. And you know we saw in week one of this series in, verses, uh, in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, how important that mental aspect of anxiety is where it said, don't be anxious for anything, but pray about everything. So we were learning to take our anxious thoughts and turn them into prayer. That's like a mental discipline. And we want to follow up on that today. The Apostle Paul is going to come back to that some more. We'll, we'll be looking at, at verse four today in Philippians a chapter, uh, verse eight, rather, in Philippians chapter four, where, where we're going to be encouraged about what we do with our minds and how to deal with. Really, what happens when our our thoughts run wild in that time of anxiety? Like at work, you know how it is, right? You're sitting at work, you're trying to finish that project, you got a a bunch of phone calls to make, but all you can think of going through your mind over and over and over again is is that meeting that your boss asked for tomorrow morning, and he didn't say why. Or you're thinking of all those rumors that are going around about potential layoffs. You can't get it out of your head. Right? or you're on vacation, you're trying to enjoy a moment of peace, you finally got away for a few days, and all you can think of is that, is that cryptic test mes- text message that you got that implied that there might be some kind of trouble at home. No, oh, I just can't get that out of your head. Or you're out having dinner with your friends, and you're trying to enjoy those relationships, those people that you care about, and you keep, but you can't think of anything else. Your mind is just spinning about those blood tests that you're waiting to hear, get a result back from the doctor about, right? That's, that's what happens with, with anxiety. And when that happens, and our mind just keeps going around and around, we call it, they, they call it rumination, okay? So rumination, um, there we go, the right button, sorry. I'm learning this new clicker and there, okay. Rumination in the dictionary is a deep or considered thought about something. That's not always about a negative thing. It can be a positive thing. but, But it can also have this negative effect when we're ruminating about things that are worrisome. Now, here's the second definition of rumination in the dictionary. The action of chewing the cud. So that's like what a cow does. A cow will ruminate on their cud. And so you take those. That leads us to our definition today. Rumination is when your mind chews on something over and over. And it's a classic symptom of anxiety. And so... You know, you just you can't shut your mind off from dwelling on that thing. You can't chew, keep stop chewing on that fearful idea, that worrisome idea, whatever it might be. Everybody experiences this at times, right? I don't know anybody who doesn't have this phenomenon happen in our minds. Um, but sometimes it takes control, and our mind begins to run wild. And so that's why the Apostle Paul, in the very next verse that that we're looking at from last week, he talks in chapter 8 about what happens in our thought life and how we think. So Philippians 4.8, now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, remember he's talked about, so it's a final thing, so let's back up a little bit, he's talked about anxiety, he he says don't worry about anything, pray about everything, you know, let God know, tell God what you need, ask him or thank him for what he's done, and the peace of God, which exceeds understanding, will, will fill your heart and your mind. And then last we talked about, we went up into the earlier part of the verse where he says, Rejoice in everything. You know, that's a, the answer to, to our desire to be in control of everything, is to, is to rejoice in that God be in control. Now he says, Now here he says, one more thing. One more thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This is a healthy kind of rumination where we're chewing on good thoughts, chewing on positive, helpful thoughts. And, and so, th- this kind of mental activity we're going to talk about today doesn't come naturally, right? And if we're left to ourselves, this is not where our mind automatically goes. And so, we're going to talk about how, nevertheless, when we practice this, this is what actually leads to peace. Now, we're going to look at this verse more closely in a minute and break it down a little bit. But I want to set the table for this conversation by spending just a minute talking about the nature of the human mind and how the mind and the emotions um, might work. And so I'm drawing this a few, a few observations here on this from a book called Rewire Your Anxious Brain. By Catherine Pittman and Elizabeth Carl. So this is so I'm not a brain scientist. I'm relying on what others have written. The book is rewire your anxious brain. So I want you to understand, first of all, that anxiety is an emotion that's caused by the brain's reaction to situations, not the situations themselves. Okay, I'll explain what I mean by that. The brain is an amazing organ super complex. God designed it. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a, uh, just incredible how God has done, and scientists are still trying to figure out how it works. We just barely scratch the surface in understanding how the brain and the mind work together. But a lot of research has gone into the study of anxiety, which makes sense because so many people in our culture today are, are suffering from anxiety of one form or another. It affects so many people. Now, here's the thing, is that most of us believe that When we're anxious about something, that 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 anxiety is actually caused by some kind of situation or issue outside of ourselves. That's the anxiety cause, but the brain researchers are telling us that anxiety always begins in the brain, not in the external situation. Now, the external situation might be a trigger for the anxiety, but anxiety is a human emotion and emotions are caused by our brain's reaction to different situations around us. And so how does the brain react to fearful situations? Well, apparently there's, there's two pathways, okay? What, what they call the logical pathway involves the, the brain cortex, the cerebral cortex, and, and if ang- if an, if anxiety is connected to some conscious memory or thought, like you know, something that you remember triggered an anxiety about a situation that's similar, then that starts in your cortex, the outer part of your brain. And then when that info hits that part of your brain called the amygdala, that's when it actually becomes a feeling, becomes an emotion. You feel anxiety at that point. because the amygdala is the part of the brain that processes. Emotional responses like fear, anxiety, aggression, positive responses as well. But some types of anxiety take a shortcut. It's called amygdala-based anxiety. It skips the cortex, and the impulse travels this pathway straight through the thalamus, which I have no idea what that is, to the amygdala. Okay, so um, this is the kind of anxiety where you don't know what triggered it. You don't know where it's coming from. You have, it's kind of a floating anxiety. It's just, it's just there, because there's no conscious thought from the cortex part of the brain that triggers that. And so, oh, by the way, we'll have a quiz on this after the service, okay? <coughs> the point is that, that sometimes we feel these emotions, and then our minds just start running with that. And so that, that's what happens with, with a panic attack. It's an overreaction of your amygdala that doesn't make any sense to your cortex. Okay, so this is how the authors talk about it. They say basically a panic attack is your body launching into the fight, flight, or freeze response at an inappropriate time due to an overreaction by the amygdala, often in response to some sort of trigger that poses no real danger. So what happens in a panic attack is you start to ruminate. Well, you know, it's not just panic attacks. Most of us experience rumination, and maybe at least on a temporary basis, with all kinds of stressful situations that arise in our lives. So even when you understand the source of anxiety, even if you understand what thought or what situation triggered the anxiety... We still end up worrying about thinking about that test that's coming up or that job interview that we have coming soon, or that, or are we reliving a difficult conversation that we had with somebody that didn't really go the way we hoped that it would go? And so, rumination is a normal response in a lot of different situations, not just in the extreme. But it becomes a problem when it's frequent and when it's ongoing. Because it interferes with our ability to engage in daily tasks. Interferes with our ability to concentrate. It, it gets in the way uh, of our ability to relate to other people or to experience positive emotions in our lives. So when, our, when your mind can't let go of a situation that you can't change, you can't control it, but your mind can't let go of it and you keep playing those fearful thoughts over and over and over again, in your head you're like the cow that's chewing the cud, that's what we want to address today. Now, that description might connect with a lot of you. I wanted to start with like, understanding our, how our minds work, because I think this connects with us at, at some level. We say, yeah, I get the problem. I understand the, the issue. Now, what's the solution? And that's where we say there's some hope, because the, the Bible has an answer for this. And that's our our second thing I want to share with you, is that long before science understood the brain, the Bible offered a solution to anxiety. That solution is redirect your thoughts. So, you know, humans today are the same as they were 2,000 years ago. The same, you know, uh, brain pathways and the same emotions work the same way as as 2,000 years ago. But long before science understood anything about the cortex or the amygdala or all of that, people still struggled with anxiety and anxious thoughts. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 offers us this time-tested biblical solution of God's word. And so it's in chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thought. We read this a minute ago, right? Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and so forth. I want to talk about this idea of fixing your thoughts on something. Because actually, as I was researching this idea of anxiety and rumination, I looked at a lot of articles and magazine and, and web articles and stuff from different psychology sources and different brain people, and I found out that a lot of them give the same advice or some form of the same advice. They will advise you to redirect your thoughts through some meditation, or some kind of thought-focusing technique, and I just thought it was really interesting that the Bible figured that out a long, long, long time ago, and the Bible's way of talking about that is this phrase, fix your thoughts. Now, if you fix your gaze on something, it means you just look at it and don't look at anything else. So the idea of fixing your thoughts on something, is you think about that, you don't think about anything else. In other words, there's a, there's a discipline to say, I'm going to keep really focused on that, on that particular concept, on those thoughts. And so what it means is that you make a conscious choice about what you think about and, and what you reflect and what you dwell on. You dwell on some things, and you choose not to dwell on other things. Because here's the thing, if, if you let your mind wander, have you experienced this? It? Maybe it's just my, my brain, I don't know. Maybe it's yours too, but if, if you let your mind wander, it will just often so easily and automatically go to anxiety and fearful and negative directions. Hardly ever do our thoughts just wander in a good direction unless we're purposeful about it. We, that's, they're not wandering. We have to kind of coach them in that direction and kind of lead them in that direction, right? Right? So we had some rain earlier a few days ago, and it got me thinking about this. So I've noticed that when it rains, the runoff always goes in the easiest direction. You notice that? Like water always flows downhill, right? And so that's why things get eroded, like that concrete underneath my downspout is starting to get a little bit of a a channel dug there by the rain that comes time and time again. So every gallon that falls will shape the land. It will erode the land. And, and if it goes into a channel, it will make that channel deeper. And if it go up in the hills, if it goes into a ravine, the ravine will get deeper and steeper as a result. And that makes it even easier for the water to flow down that channel again the next time it rains. Well, I think our thought life is very much the same as that. If we keep entertaining the same thoughts, if our thoughts keep going down the same channels, that starts to create a mental landscape. And some of our mental landscapes have some, some ravines in them that make it so easy for our thoughts to flow down that ravine over and over and over again. And every time it happens, it gets deeper and steeper than it was before. And it's harder to redirect your thoughts than out of that place. It becomes kind of the default of where your thoughts end up going. So, but we can, it says we can fix our thoughts in a different direction. But you know what? That, that's not easy, is it? That takes God's power. That takes the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us who are Christ followers to fix our thoughts on the right things. We can do it, but we have to draw on his strength to do it, and it ultimately, we'll see, is the secret to experiencing peace. Now let's look in this verse at the kind of thoughts that the Bible tells us to fix on. It says, Talk, th- uh, fix your thoughts on what's true. And that refers simply to factual thoughts rather than the false narratives that perpetuate the anxiety cycle, right? So most anxiety, if you stop and think about it, when you think about it later and you're able to be more objective about it or someone else who's objective would tell you That most of our anxiety is fueled by ideas that just aren't really true. All the what ifs, all the maybe and the theoretical scenarios that we create in our minds of all the things that could go wrong. And sometimes even outright lies that make us worry. Many of our anxious ruminations aren't even really logical when, when you break them down and think about them. And so he says, focus your thoughts on what's true. Now, ultimately, we know it's true from the Bible. Now, I know the Bible's not going to necessarily speak the truth to your particular situation in all of its details. Because the Bible doesn't say, okay, on Wednesday, you're going to have a panic attack or whatever. No, but what the Bible does tell us that is true is it tells us the character of God. And that's so fundamental, that's really important because... God is the one who holds our life in his hands. And when we understand what God is like, that changes our whole perspective about the situations that trigger our our anxiety. So he starts by saying, think about what's true. And then he wants to encourage us to talk about what's honorable and right and pure and honorable. Those are things that honor God. He's talking about avoiding a sinful lifestyle that's hidden from view. So often our ruminations can take us to sinful places. We start thinking about things that don't honor God. And that's one factor for Christians who are experiencing anxiety. Sometimes it can be rooted in our sinful habits of thought or simple patterns of life especially the things that nobody knows about. Because when you, when you cultivate that hidden life, number one, you know you're out of step with God, and that creates anxiety. Number two, you, you desperately want to make sure that nobody finds out about your secret stuff, right? And that generates anxiety, too. And then you wrestle with the hypocrisy of the, the distance between your outward life and your inner life, and all of those things contribute to anxiety, and so, what he's saying, is stop ruminating on sin. You train your mind to fix on godly things. Here's a verse in Psalm 139 that I love. It's so honest, where he says Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And I pray that we're all open enough in our relationship with God that we could pray an honest prayer like this. A prayer that so honest has said, just lay our heart bare before God, to let Him examine us, to let Him do His work in us. So the writer of this psalm, he acknowledges, you see, in his anxious thoughts, he 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 owns them right there. But what he's thinking is, is that there's some kind of a link in the next part of the verse. He's thinking there's potentially a link between those elements of his thought life that might possibly be offensive to God. And so he says, I don't know. I don't even know my own heart very well, God, you know? So he says, God, I need you to point it out. If there's anything there, God, I need you to point it out to me and make it known to me. So he wants nothing in his life that's hidden from view that would bring dishonor to God. And that's related to anxiety, and anxious thoughts, right? And then the next thing Paul says, he says, think about things that are lovely and admirable, Things that build up rather than tear down. So lovely is something that's worth pursuing. This word means something that, that you value or prize. The word admirable is, makes sense. It's something that deserves to be highly praised or to, to deserves a good report. And so what he's saying here is that we want to focus on things that draw our attention upward and draw our attention toward the good and focus our thoughts on what's positive and not negative. And, and so Paul's addressed this in Ephesians. He addressed it with our words, but when he lo- I want to show you a verse where he addresses our words, but we could plug in the, our thoughts into that equation as well. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, he's that everything you say or think be good and helpful so that your words or thoughts will be an encouragement to those who hear or think them. Everything you say be good and helpful, your words be... So, the, you know, the, the pattern is the same, whether it's verbalized or whether it's internalized. What he's saying there is that when we refocus our thoughts, it brings encouragement. That's what we need. So the point is, don't let your mind wander into anxious thoughts, because if... We're left to ourselves. Our minds will so often just run wild. Our thoughts will run wild. But with God's power working in you through the Holy Spirit, you can learn to focus your thoughts on things that will lift you up, that will encourage you. You can learn to change the mental landscape of your mind. Now, what happens then when that, as we begin to learn to do that? And God begins to work that out in our lives. And what happens next? I want you to know that when you win the battle in your mind, you can also win the battle in your everyday life. Now for Paul, this is more than just some kind of abstract psychological topic or some kind of idealism. He's actually living this way. This is, this is what, he's learned, what he's learned to live in his own experience, and he invites us to live this way as well. And so look at now at verse nine. We just read verse eight. Now moving into verse nine, he says, Keep on putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So Paul's saying, Look, here's what I've discovered. Here's what God has revealed to me. Everything that I'm saying, everything that you've learned from me, everything that you've seen me do when he was living with them. You know, this is hard for us. We haven't seen him live, but we still have learned from him. We still have have heard what he's saying. He says, take all of that and put it into practice and keep putting it into practice. So here's the thing, Christians. We can read the Bible. We can know the Bible. We can quote the Bible, We can discuss the Bible in our small group or with our friends, whatever. But it doesn't stop there. It can't stop there. We have to keep on putting it into practice in our lives. That's when it becomes truly life-changing and transformational. Look, we all know people. I'm not going to name any names, right? But you might have some people who come to mind. We all know people who are more negative than most. The curmudgeons of life, that you know, they're a little bit sour. They're the ones who expect the worst in life. They're the ones who draw the worst interpretation of any situation. They're the ones who are quick to express fear and doubt and criticism. You know, they just have this negative, pessimistic outlook, and in general, on life. And we all know people who are more hopeful. Who are more optimistic about life, who often want to see the best in people, who try to see the best and the possibilities in a situation. They're the ones who are always seeing the silver lining behind the cloud. Let me put it another way some people are like hummingbirds, they always find the flower. Some people are like buzzards, they always find what's dead. What makes the difference? What makes the difference between a hummingbird and a buzzard? Between the optimist and the pessimist? Were you just born that way? No, I think the biggest difference are the habits of thought that we develop over time. How we habitually, those channels in our mind... That habits of thought, and so day by day, as we develop those mental habits that verse eight is talking about, what happens is the, the, the mind, the Holy Spirit in our mind, begins to fill in some of those old channels, those deep ruts and ravines begin to get filled in. The water doesn't flow there as easily anymore. All those channels that always so powerfully drag your thoughts down to hopeless places, the the water of your thoughts, so to speak, then starts to flow in a different course. And different channels begin to be produced. Channels that are positive and hopeful and centered on, on God and the things of God. And that becomes then, over time, the mental habit of our lives. And so as that mental landscape gets reshaped, then it becomes more easier and more natural to focus on what's positive and hopeful and all the things that are mentioned in verse 8. And as we start to win the mental battle every day, then it starts to change our life every day. Now back to verse 7. We talked in verse 7 about God's peace, the, the peace of God which exceeds our understanding will guard our heart and our mind in Christ. But here, he talks about not just the peace of God, but the God of peace. He's not just talking about peace in some abstract thing that he wants God to do in our life, but he's talking about the God of peace himself. And the promise here is not just the peace of God, the promise is the God of peace, that God himself, who is characterized by peace, that he'll be with us, that he'll be present in our situations. Now, as a Christ follower, God is always present with you. But Paul's talking about our experience of God's presence and that experience of God's presence that actually brings peace when we're anxious and when our mind begins to race and run away from us. And this is actually what separates the biblical teaching from anything we learn from psychology today. There's a lot of great things in psychology that we can learn by the observation of human nature and and putting two and two together, a lot of really helpful things that, that we can learn. But this is what separates the Bible's teaching from anything else that we can learn is that for Christians, God is in it. God is the source of peace. God is real and he's alive and he's involved in our lives. What a difference that makes. By the way, if you don't know him that way, you can. That's why Jesus came. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God. He died on the cross to make a perfect sacrifice to pay for our sin and for our disobedience to God. And then he rose again on the third day to demonstrate his life-changing power, including his power over our anxious thoughts. And he wants to be involved in your life. He's pursuing you. He's pursuing a relationship with you. You can know him. You can know his peace. You can know his presence in your life when you entrust your life and your eternity into the hands of Jesus. And we'd love to talk to you. If you're not sure what we mean by that, come talk to us after the service. We'll pray with you and and help encourage you to understand what that promise is all about. But I want to, let me just wrap it up today with a practical application. The final thing, I just want to give you a how-to. So how do we fix our thoughts on the right kind of things? How do we learn how to put into practice what Paul says we learned from him, this thing about our, our minds? Well, I want to give you this practical application called biblical meditation. The Old Testament scriptures talk a lot about the practice of meditation. Now, biblical meditation is very, very different from Asian or New Age kind of meditation because biblical meditation is not about emptying your mind or losing yourself in some greater whole. Biblical meditation is about filling your mind with the right thoughts It's the conscious practice of ruminating on eternal and godly things. It's a very engaged process. The Bible says that there's three things to meditate on. We meditate on God himself. Psalm 145, he says, I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor. We can meditate on what God has done for us. I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. And we can meditate on God's word itself. He says, I delight in, delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. So, so biblical meditation then is to consciously focus on who God is and what God's done and what he says to us. Now let me, let me give you an example of how I practice that. Because I think this is so easy and practical. You could take it home. It could start making a difference in your life today. Now how I practice that is I'll pick a verse. Maybe a verse that I've memorized, and I've memorized certain verses because they speak to the anxieties that might be going on in my life. Maybe I'll pick a verse, or maybe it's a verse that I just read that morning I opened, when I opened my Bible and I spent time with God and I saw a verse and the Holy Spirit made it come alive to me. And I said, oh, man, I need, to, talk, I need to, to think about that verse more today. So I'm going to meditate on it. I might write it down or uh, put it in my notes app or something so it's handy for me. You find the verse or two. And um, for example, let's do this. Let's, let's practice on this one. This is one we looked at a couple weeks ago, Philippians 4, 7. Let's, we'll pick that as our practice verse. And then you just chew on that verse. You just think about each phrase and each keyword at a time, uh, just one at a time, one by one. You think about a phrase, you think about a keyword, you just think about it and mold it over in your mind. So for example, verse 7 says, then you will experience God's peace. Oh, I want to think about that word experience. Hmm, What does it mean that I could experience God's peace? Maybe it means more than just knowing about it. Maybe this is a great, wow, that's a great promise from God that I could actually experience it for myself. And then maybe, it, maybe I think about, oh, peace, God's peace. What is that? What, is, what would that feel like? What would that be like in my life right now if I was experiencing God's peace? and what, So I'm going to think about it, all the different things in my life where I don't have peace. And I'm going to mull that over and, and just let that word or that phrase get me engaged with the word of God in my mind. And so he says that it exceeds Anything we can understand. That word exceed, that's an interesting word. That means it's greater than anything else. What does that word exceed mean, exceedingly? What are some things I wish that God would exceed in my life in? What is God really promising there? And then what is my understanding? I know my understanding has limitations. So I'm just thinking this over in my mind. What are some things I don't understand? Or what, would, what would it mean for God to go beyond the limits of what my mind can understand? I'm just sharing with you thoughts that I might have if I'm meditating on this verse. And I'll just go on. To it, so the last, the end of the verse is, his peace will guard your hearts and minds. So I might, be start, I might start just thinking about, Oh, man. Here's where my heart needs peace right now. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about the economy. I'm worried about the election. I, my, my heart needs peace. and So God, I, I can turn that into a prayer. I say, God, I need your peace to guard my heart right now because my heart is just letting every kind of th- worry and every kind of anxiety in. And I need you to set up a, a, a sentry there, a boundary for me. And what about my mind? What are some things in my mind, some thoughts that keep coming that need to be put at bay? And I can talk to God about that as I just drill down and, and think through and mull over and chew on that, that verse. So you get the idea. We can go into more detail, but you get the idea, right? You take a verse of the Bible, you mull it over, you stop on each phrase, on each key word, to notice it, to say it, to think about it. And that process will engage your mind on God's word and fill your mind with things that are true, honorable, right, pure, noble, and, and more that's how to overcome negative anxious thoughts when they start to run wild let's pray father thank you so much that you've given us your presence in our lives god of peace thank you father god you are the god of peace and that you know us and that you love us and you care about us so thank you lord that we can come to you Thank you, Father, you've given us your word. And as we meditate on your word, that our thoughts get changed, that our heart gets changed. And So, Father, I pray you know the anxieties we have. Every single one of us here today has something that we're anxious about. Maybe a big thing, maybe a small thing. So, Father, we pray that you would change the landscape of our minds as we meditate on your word. On things that are true and lovely and admirable and worthy of praise you got to take us there by your power, God. By our power, our minds will go wherever they want. By your power, God, as we rely on you, we trust you to change us from within. So we surrender to that today. In Jesus' name, for his honor and glory. Amen.